Getting Better Healthcare is brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better healthcare and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the drscore.com physician rating website. Some people believe that one of the biggest problems we have, at least with respect to cost in our healthcare system, is the practice of defensive medicine. To speak to us about defensive medicine today, we have Rick Jackson. Rick is president and CEO of Jackson Healthcare, an organization that provides healthcare staffing to clinics and hospitals across the country. Rick, I understand that defensive medicine is a major issue. How did uh, you come across this? Well, thanks, Steve. Uh, well, first of all, I've been in healthcare for 34 years, and, uh, and just to give you a little bit of context, uh, you know, I have uh, been an entrepreneur and developed uh, many companies and invested in many companies up on hospitals, surgery centers, uh, insurance companies, over hundreds of um, um, of uh, medical clinics, and so forth. And and I tell you that not to necessarily brag, but to give you a context. I really understand the inside baseball of uh, of healthcare and how it really works. And so I think that brings the context of what I'm talking about. But about two years ago, we were doing surgery surveying of our physicians. And uh, actually, it's three years ago when the election was going on. We were asking questions about, do you like uh, Obama's plan, Clinton's plan, or McCain's plan? And what came out of that survey just in general was uh, unsolicited remarks about defensive medicine. And, and defensive medicine, for people that don't know, is basically the practice of medicine, uh, mainly to avoid a lawsuit. And so I had known about defensive medicine, uh, but it was all these unsolicited comments said I, something's going on here that I didn't know. And so I started doing some research to try to identify how pervasive uh, pervasive it is, and I couldn't find anything. So two years ago this month, we did a. Uh, survey to physicians to understand how pervasive it is and so forth. And we had 3,000 uh, physicians spend about 20 minutes on a survey. And basically, uh, we asked them uh, many questions of how they practice and so forth. But we asked them one major question at the end, and that is, what percentage of, of all health care costs are related to defensive medicine? And 3,000 doctors came up with an average of 34%. Well, nobody knew. I didn't know it was that much. I thought it was 5 to 10%, and I was really shocked uh, by that. So we uh, went and asked Gallup to do a confirmation and do a survey. We knew nobody would know who we were. Uh, so we uh, wanted them to validate, and they came back with a figure of 26%. They called 500 random positions nationally, and they came back with a 26% uh, uh, 
of that. Now, that implicates the potential of $650 billion a year uh, that is totally unnecessary in our system uh, for the purpose of avoiding lawsuits. And so uh, then my survey had another uh, uh, inference that, uh, that we developed, and that was that tort reform in states like Texas uh, – you know, for the last seven years, there's been caps, and I'm sure people have heard about uh, tort reform and caps and so forth. Uh, we found out that the doctors in Texas practice as much defensive medicine as anybody else. And the, and the prevailing belief uh, in the last uh, several years is if you will you know, develop caps, then that will cause doctors to practice less defensive medicine. Now, it to give you a kind of a, uh, a vision of an iceberg, what we look at is the tip of the iceberg is the cost of malpractice. That's about $30 billion a year. But the iceberg of defensive medicine is about $650 billion a year. And that's the focus that we're trying to get onto. So, so then I went off and we did research and said, well, why are physicians practicing defensive medicine if tort reform doesn't work? And we boiled it down to two, two things. Number one, physicians are very risk-adverse, and our physicians in the U.S. are the only physicians in the world that are personally financially liable for something they do in a professional setting. And so they have personal financial liability. It's one of the few professions that you can go in, go to work today, uh, do something wrong, and potentially, in your mind, lose everything you've ever worked for. So that, that's, a, that's a big issue. But more as importantly, we found out that they absolutely abhor litigation. And, and what I mean by that, once it's a life-changing event, if you get sued for $10 million and you only have $1 million of malpractice, you don't know for four years whether or not you're going to have to file bankruptcy. And, uh, and then it's settled or dismissed or whatever. But then physicians at that point in time tell their friends, and then they do everything they can to have tests so that nobody could ever criticize that they didn't do something and so forth. And so they practice this thing called defensive medicine. Well, now, so in our current tort reform uh, tort system, uh, basically it's not working for patients either. Uh, just for your knowledge, uh, less than 8% of patients ever see a judge and jury that are actually awarded compensation or actually get compensation. Uh, less than 20% of patients that are medically injured from negligence actually ever get anything. So there's a huge population that really don't have access to justice or compensation. And so the system itself is just dysfunctional. So, therefore, we came up and said, uh, okay, what's the solution? So, here's, here's the basis of our solution. Our solution well, basically let, let, says... I'm sorry, Rick. Let's hold, hold, hold the bus. Let's just yeah. explore a couple of these things, um, yep. just in a little more detail, um, before the solution. Although, I do want to get to the solution. The, um, yep. I just, you know, I've, I've talked to um, malpractice attorneys about these sorts of things, and they seem to have a different perspective. That you you wouldn't do a test if that test couldn't possibly pick up something, right? Because if it couldn't possibly pick up anything, then then you know there's no potential risk to the doctor or the patient. 
uh, so it doesn't need to be done. Now, you might do a test to pick up something, protect yourself from something rare that could happen, but might a patient not want that test to be done if there's even a rare possibility that they could have something that could be missed? Yeah, that's a very good question, and and so the issue is, is it bad medicine uh, to order more tests than necessary? And the answer is mostly no. It's not 100% no, but it's mostly no. Uh, But here's the issue. You can go to your general internist and get a $250 history and physical, uh, or get a physical, or you can go to Mayo Clinic and it's $2,500. And so I'd ask you the question, uh, should we give everybody a $2,500 physical at Mayo or get to that extent? And the issue is you can't say it's bad medicine. The question is can we afford it and is it necessary? The issue is not is it okay to test for things. The, you know, you could go in and have 10000 Everybody in the United States could go and get a battery of $10,000 worth of tests just to make sure everything's okay. But we can't. It's not economically necessary or medically necessary. So that's the issue is whether or not it's necessary or not. So from their standpoint, I think they're mostly correct that you're not hurting most patients. Now, I do think that there is some evidence that unnecessary tests and in any time you're in a hospital and so forth and doing tests that there's more chances of you getting hurt than not. And then, of course, the scanning itself is uh, some people think is very detrimental. And so there's no use in doing CT scans and MRIs unless you absolutely need it. So there are some people that actually say that some of the tests are. But I I think... uh, I I think I hear what you just said, that that in fact, some testing can actually provide more problems than benefit. And certainly, uh, if the tests are being done for legal reasons, when they actually have potentially more risk than benefit, everybody would agree that would be a bad thing. I guess part of the issue is that when we're thinking rationally up front uh, and we're dealing with a patient and maybe the test has a one in a million chance of finding something and it costs $1,000 and it actually has potential risk to the patient, the patient and the doctor and probably anybody with an interest in the cost of medical care would say, it's ridiculous, don't do that test. But then in retrospect, if you're in a court of law and you're the one in the million who didn't have the test done and you had a resulting problem, uh, it's going to look like, God, the doctor did something terrible, didn't do this test that would have detected your problem. Um, it has a different appearance, you know, up front when you're making the decision versus after the fact. That's right. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a system that after the fact dealt with it um, without you know, claiming that bad medicine was done. In fact, good medicine was done, but somebody had a problem. It would be like insurance. Sure. Well, I mean, basically, uh, these uh, in that event that you gave, uh, for instance, let me let me just tell you about a personal thing that happened to me, and, and, and this really happens in the ER especially, but I'm 57 years old, and, um, and, and you know, a little bit overweight, I, I have chest pains. I go into hospital in, in in Atlanta. My age and my situation, my income bracket, it's a $35,000 visit, period. Because one out of a 200 may have a, I mean, I did nuclear stress testing. I did MRI, CT, so forth. At the end of the day, I had, uh, you know, indigestion. But 
there may be one out of 200, 300 that doesn't have that. So what they could have done very easily is done an EKG test and done some blood work to check on enzymes and say, hey, you're okay. What we want you to do is to let us know if anything else happens in these lines and so and get back to us. The problem is that the one out of a hundred times that that may or may not work, and it's probably more like one out of a thousand, but even one out of a thousand that go in an ER, a hospital can't afford a $20 million because they didn't, you know, because something happened lawsuit. in a retrospective. However, yeah. in the case you gave, a independent board of medical uh, physicians would not criticize an ER doctor Somebody comes in with a nosebleed, they give them the basic uh, treatment, and the fact that they didn't run an MRI could have found out that they actually had early stage some other something, uh, you know, one out of a thousand. A medical group would not say that's negligence. But but hindsight says if you'd have done all these things, then it would have, wouldn't have been a problem. You could have found out about it and so forth from a legal standpoint. It is, uh, different. So, it is and, so, so interesting how things appear different from when you're looking prospectively, everybody would agree, yeah, you don't want to do this test because it's not cost-effective. It's not to anybody's, it's not to, to the benefit of, of the population. But then in hindsight, when you're just looking at the one, you would say, oh, if only they had done this test. That's right. And, and, and ER is the worst. I mean, they're, almost 100% of ER doctors practice defensive medicine. And if you come in with anything, you come in with a headache, and they and you know one out of the thousand uh, somebody could have found some. And here's the other thing, they may have found it, but that doesn't mean it would have changed the outcome, uh, even if they had found it at that time. So, but they in a litigation situation, it's basically uh, you know a retrospective, and it's like, but if you had run that, you could have found it and maybe helped them, right? I mean, you know, so so that's the uh, situation. We had an orthopedic surgeon I talked to in Washington that put in a uh, spinal implant in, in between two discs, and inside the implant, a small little screw came out. Didn't hurt the patient. There was inconvenience. They had to do some surgery to take it out, but it, at the end of the day, well, this physician said, uh, you know, after three or four years, the, the attorney asked the physician, why didn't you do an MRI after this procedure? And he said, well, because that's not medically indicated uh, to do a, a MRI just to make sure everything is okay on this implant. And uh, and so he the, the lawsuit got dismissed, but he said, Rick, I have ordered for the last 10 years an MRI on that implant. And he said, nothing's ever come out of it. But he said, I've ordered $10 million personally of unnecessary medicine and because I never wanted to sit in front of another attorney and them ask me that question again. Yeah. And whether that's rational or irrational, it is what we what we have. And uh, so that, that's part of the dysfunctionality uh, you know, of the system. And we're all paying about $100 a month uh, for health care costs per person for the privilege of doctors avoiding that kind of medicine. And just think of that money was re-diverted somewhere else. And think about the Medicaid and Medicare dollars we could save if there was no unnecessary medicine and so forth. So, um, so anyway, that, that's the environment we've got. Well, Rick, you've laid out an enormous problem, hundreds of billions of dollars of needless medical care, there has to be a better way. And with all that money available for savings, there, there ought to be a way of creating such a system. On our program next week, we're going to talk with Rick about 
his bold proposal to create a medical compensation system along the lines of workmen's compensation, something that can help solve the defensive medicine crisis in a way that helps patients, doctors, and really everyone in the system. I hope you've enjoyed today's program and will join us when we have Rick back next week. Our show has been brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare. 